I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where we're just comma crazy about Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 7, which begins with a close-up shot on a branded neck, and it ends with a trailer being hooked up to the rig as the war boys yell about milk. <laughs> Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. We have a cadre of guests here. Joining us this week is the Rocky Mountain Division of the Movies by Minutes family, Crystal Beth and John Robert Wilson of The Fifth Element, and George Hendricks of The Mogwai. Thank you, Minute. What, George? I didn't know you were going to be crashing this recording with us. What? I am a crasher. I crash. Hell yeah. What a fun little surprise ditty. Longtime listeners of the show will, of course, remember everybody I just listed from when we were talking about Beyond Thunderdome. But as for today, we have just departed the crazy tunnel running sequence with Max, and he's been, I wouldn't say black bagged, he's been yellow... Rubbered? Rubbered, I guess. <laughs> Gross. Uh, <laughs> and dragged back, so we don't know what's going to happen to him for a while, but as we go outside... The first thing we see is a neck with the brand that we saw last week. It's a Pokeball branding. It's on brand. Yeah, this was a teaser to the Pokemon Go app release. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't wait for the Fury Road Pokemon that are going to come out. Oh, yeah. Or like metal bits and pieces and nuts and bolts and like angry face masks. It's going to be good. It's a return to the good old days of when kids used to just play in the road normally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, now they'll have the app that lets them play in the middle of the road. Now it encourages driving while playing. Exactly. Yeah, it augments your playmates mm -hmm. into the reality of the augmented reality. So you think you're playing in the streets, but you're just in the streets. You're actually in the streets. We live in the yeah. future. What a good place. Mm. And if you're good enough and you get enough points, someone pins you to a table and presses a burning hot iron brand to the back of your neck. <laughs> so that's the ultimate badge. <laughs> This is our first look at Imperator Furiosa. We saw her name in the opening credits, but this is our first view of her. And before knowing anything about the character, the one thing that we get is that she is technically property of the Immortan. Mm -hmm. It's shoved right in our faces. Yeah. It makes you wonder how badass she is. Mm -hmm. I mean, she gave up her arm for this, so. Yeah. Or it was taken from her. The missing arm is probably the second thing that we notice about Furiosa. Because as the shot goes on, she's walking away from the camera, and we get to see, she's all right, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing I noticed about her was her swagger. Oh, yeah. Like, she is confident in what she is doing. She's confident in her position in this organization cult. She got some swagger. And she walks with power and authority. Uh-huh. She's a strong, independent woman that is not really independent and owned by someone. She's as independent as you can be when you're property. Right. Which is just basically having swagger and that's it. You got to operate within the bounds of your constriction. I remember when I first 
saw this, I was like, oh, she's a cyborg. Wait, oh, no, that's just a prosthetic. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of a cyborg. Speaking of property with swagger, a lot of the cars in this movie have nicknames. Like, they'll have production names. Like, the red car that we see on the right is technically called Convoy Number 1, but its nickname is Elvis. Mm. And there's a little bit of a story behind it. Oh. So... Elvis is a Ford three-window coupe 1932. It was created by a guy named Ian Elvis Davis for the Rod Bods Down Under. Wow. He's the one that originally put in the V12 engine, and then the car was purchased by the production. And when it was purchased, it was beautiful, gorgeous, tons of expensive pieces. And so before it was sent to Africa, Davis stripped the vehicle of its body, its interior, its wheels, the grill, the headlights, anything that was valuable because they knew they were going to send it to the desert. And so he replaced the body with fiberglass and everything was just more budgety the second time around. Wait, so the red car has a V12? Yeah. In this cult of the V8? Yes. Isn't that just kind of overachieving a little? <laughs> uh, everyone has to do that, you know. You have to over overachieve. Yeah, if you don't have goals, what do you have? Is there such a thing as overachieving? Yes. <laughs> Rick, I told you you overachieved earlier, just a second ago, before we started recording. <laughs> Your outline is insane. <laughs> yeah, crystal, fourth wall. I'm sorry, here. That <laughs> his vocal outline of us recording right now is insane. In a world with such vehicles as the Giga Horse, the Bigfoot, and the Doof Wagon, or the Duff Wagon, I don't know. I think I'm just going to pronounce it both ways just to annoy people. I don't feel like a V12 is all outside that realm of possibility. If you got some Vs, stick it in there. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) 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 I suppose what they really mean is we are a cult of engines of right. mechanical things and not motorcycle engines or mo- lawnmower engines or maybe they're just really into vegetable juice <laughs> yes and the, and the v has nothing to do with engines they are moving produce today yeah mm-hmm. yeah none of them are like leaning sideways it's all good they know where their bread is buttered and that is with a balanced diet of juice you know a lot of these war boys have the black smear across their forehead and it probably mm-hmm. starts by getting a big mound of that and just slapping their forehead because they should have had a v8 yeah <laughs> Face palm. so down the road when furiosa and crew are in the canyon and she takes a bit of grease off of her steering column and <laughs> smears it on her forehead that's her going i should have had a v8 before this showdown yeah yeah she was like "Ooh, this is going to take a lot of my energy and I should have had a V8. Yeah, she lost her arm because she didn't have enough nutrients and got woozy and fell into a thresher. Cannon. That's definitely one of the better <laughs> ideas. I was watching videos. People were trying to figure out how Furiosa lost the arm. And she knows. Charlize Theron and George Miller discussed this. There is an established story of how she lost the arm. They're just not going to tell it. Oh, probably because it's stupid. They're like, she was born that way. Oh, they want to use it for the, the, the prequels. So get that mun mun. Yeah. I hope it's that she was born that way. And then the Lady Gaga song comes on. Furiosa Road is the prequel. It's going to be good. Is it? No. Oh. <laughs> I was like, this sounds right. George, your jokes are letting Crystal down. I'm sorry. <laughs> Much like the elevator that we she see in the next She should know I don't shot. prepare, so. Oh, Rick, I'm sorry. 
start that amazing segue over again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone be quiet so Rick can use this awesome. Uh, this is awesome. I just said that George's jokes was letting Crystal down, much like the elevator that we see in this next shot. Yeah! Hell yeah! Oh, that was good. <laughs> Segway, beep, beep. That was great. <laughs> and I want to go on this diet where look, these guys are ripped. The, Not all of them. All of them are, yeah, most of them. Those Some are just them. scrawny. Yeah, they're the wiry. The one that plugs in the things is... Yeah. Stop drinking beer. Oh, no. Yeah, see? <laughs> That's what I always think. I'm like, I'd rather eat and drink. He wants that war bod. I think all of these war boys are on the half-life diet, which is just mm-hmm. have cancer and live in an apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> Most of these guys are tumored out the wazoo. Yeah. Probably with tumors in the wazoo. Ouch. Do you have an apocalypse, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I was so impressed by this elevator that we're seeing with the giant chains and the pulleys and the counterweights that I jumped on Google. Fun fact, elevators have been used since the 3rd century B.C., the earliest ones were called hoists, and they were powered by human, animal, or sometimes water power. Wow. This one in particular, human. People have always wanted to get high. <laughs> and they always have photos of cherry berry in them. <laughs> George thinks he's funny. I don't know what cherry berry is. That was a weird North Carolina reference. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> she is the, the labor department chair and her photo is in every elevator in the existence of North Carolina. Oh, <laughs> got People it. have t-shirts that say cherry berry lifts me up. That's amazing. Oh, That's man. really yeah. cute. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Now I got to yeah. Google this after I yeah. listen to this. It's episode. there. It's a thing. I'll trust you on that. <laughs> so I'm sure her photo is somewhere on this elevator. One thing's for sure. There is a rickety old elevator at the college where I work and that thing is always breaking down it's never inspected when it should be I would trust this post-apocalyptic elevator more than the one at the place where I work especially because the one at your office is tiny and if you got stuck in it you would feel awfully claustrophobic this one in Fury Road if you got stuck in it you could just jump off or get a tan just lay there and get some sun yeah and skin cancer plus this one has a bunch of burly elevator guards with hockey sticks. Right, sharpened ones. Like you need. And I also think you'd be better off because it seems like everyone has some level of mechanical ability. It's like basically like, okay, you know how to start a fire, you know how to survive in the open desert, and you know how to work on things. And so everyone would be like, oh, I can fix that. You could probably fix that. Like, eh, I got this. Whereas your elevator at work has like that one old guy who only knows about that one elevator. And he <laughs> may or may not be senile. <laughs> Plus, you look at the chains on this thing. Look at the chains. You can mm. climb that like a ladder. You guys are much more confident in how you would survive being stuck on the elevator than I would. I would be too scared to jump off. I wouldn't want to climb up because I'd be scared to fall down. Mm. Mostly because like, I just got back surgery. <laughs> I don't want to do it again. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. If I was up this high, as high as we assume this elevator goes, I'd probably be terrified sticking to the dead center of that elevator. Oh, yeah. If I were one of these war boys, I would be laying down. <laughs> well, you, do, you you don't come equipped with the inherent death wish that they all seem to come That's equipped true. with. That's yeah. true. Oh. I don't want to be witnessed ever. So You know, I'm, I'm starting to notice, uh, where I'm, and I haven't noticed it until now, I'm seeing skulls, human skulls in, in almost every single shot. Everywhere. Even some in the background, like, hey, uh, can we get a skull on the shelf in the back there? Uh, and when the guy, uh, is, that wiry guy is 
hooking up the uh, electric contacts between the two trailers. Oh, yeah. There's just skulls. Like, there's, see, in the background, there's a skull right there along the wires along the back part of the first trailer. Yeah. Have you guys done a skull count? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I haven't done a skull count. Yeah, maybe we'll have to. Would you count the skulls inside the people's heads? Yeah, everyone. Not yet, not till they die. Well, that, yeah, I guess you're right, Julia. <laughs> Is a skull really a skull until it's been separated? Yes. Yeah. Removed? It is. You have a skull inside the skin of your head. Yeah, but uh, but aesthetically, aesthetically, does it become a skull as a decorative piece if it's not actively bleached and like pred- predatorized? My skull is an incredibly decorative piece. Thank you very much. <laughs> All it does is hold the skin on your head. Which is beautiful. It's fine. <laughs> if you see a decapitated head, that is a head. Yeah. It's not until the skin and muscle is removed that it becomes a skull, in my opinion. Well. In my humble opinion. Yes, but if you were to list out the elements of that head that collectively you call a head, it's still a skull. Like a car. It's a car, but it's made up of an engine and seats and steering wheel and a gas tank. But it's still an engine. It still has an engine. The thing is, if you put heads on a shelf, you're going for a totally different decorating scheme than skulls. What are the rules to your and your family's skull count game? Go to Facebook.com and join the Mad Max Fury Road Minute Facebook group and continue the conversation there. (laughs) (laughs) So what's with the guy playing the piano on the elevator? What? They're really musically inclined. Second 15, there's looks like a dude who's playing like a harpsichord the whole time. He's totally there, and he's wailing on it, too. Yeah, he's, like, doing some ragtime. Scott Joplin, like, full blast. Uh-huh. Yeah. I never noticed that. It's kind of nice that music's a big part of this world. It's like singing. it can be so yeah. menacing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Music is very powerful. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. I mean, not like anything in this movie is really sane. <laughs> I guess it's insane because it's, it's, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Now that I notice <clears throat> it, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm fine with it. You know, everyone needs some elevator music. <laughs> All right, I need some help. You're at second 15. Yes. We're looking at this wide shot. The tanker's on the elevator. You can see the war rig below and all the masses gathered around. Where's this piano player? Up Top on the left. left of the, see the chain bisecting the right, I mean the left quarter of the frame. He's the guy like, you know, leaned over. It looks like he's playing a piano. Oh, he's not. He, yeah. Oh, okay. It looks like he is. When you look closer, he's kind of just fiddling with something. It's, he's fiddling with the ivories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, that might be a harpoon gun. We're a little far off, and I'm not looking at the high-res video, but he's probably checking the ropes because this is a Jaws situation. You want yeah. all the... Actually, no, not Jaws. This is a deep blue sea situation. <laughs> you've got the ropes wrapped around in a very specific way, and you got to make sure they're all tightly packed where they won't tangle. So what they're playing with is the thing. May I reference something later? Oh, of course. When they're driving through the canyon the first time, or the second time, I believe, it's too low. No, it's the first time, and it knocks off one of the little flag things off the top of the war rig. It's that. It looks like a flag, except it doesn't blow in the wind. But that gets knocked off later on in the movie, just like the Millennium Falcon's shield. (laughs) Millennium Falcon's piano. Let's leave the elevator behind because we're going down into the war rig as this Imperator that has yet to be named, but we know it's Furiosa because we've seen the movie before. (laughs) She climbs into the cab and she's got this steering wheel rigged in her hand. She fixes it onto the steering column. We're going to see later on that each driver has their own specific steering wheel and it's kept on this giant altar. So we'll get to see that 
later on. There are many steering wheels, but this one specifically belongs to Furiosa. And the craftsmanship is lovely. Mm -hmm. Mm. Do you think people make their own steering wheel? I'm glad you asked. Like you make your own uh, lightsaber? (laughs) Almost a rite of passage? So thanks to the Mad Max Fury Road supplemental comic that we were talking about last time or the time before, I think we've referenced it every week so far. I think we have. But the steering wheels are specifically made by the folks that you see milling around underneath the elevator and all along the ground, folks that we will come to know as the wretched. Oh. Select ones of them are pulled out of the group and put into rooms full of junk, and they're chained there. And the idea is that they sit in these rooms day and night, and if they want to eat, they create things. Oh. Little fetishes and- My gosh. Things dedicated to the Immortan. Like iPhones. And when he visits them, they hold up their things. And if he likes it, he takes it from them and they are given food. And if he does not like what they've made, or they haven't made anything that could be seen as something, like if they haven't produced that week, they're thrown off the top of the Citadel. Holy cow. Oh, all right. Well, okay. I know that that's cruel and vicious, but I do appreciate that they're not left there to starve to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or left there to fight other people who were granted food. I appreciate the motivation. Yeah. I mean, their retirement plan is not that great, but I mean, there's a, there's a work <laughs> ethic there. <laughs> it's essentially the most extreme version of a competitive crafting show. Mm-hmm. I would watch that. The Great British Build-Off. There's a crafting show that's hosted by Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler, and I can't remember the name of it off the oh, top of my head. something about DIY. Yeah. If that show ended with whoever got the least liked thing being thrown off of a high precipice, I might actually make an effort to watch it. Like, I already (laughs) want to watch the show. I just don't because we don't have network television or cable or anything like that. That's how I feel about basketball. First off, there's too many points scored. I think that the team that loses (laughs) should be killed. Or at least one person on the team should be killed. I make the team nominate the person who gets killed, so it's more of a moral dilemma for them. Yes. Go with the uh, old school rules of the... Aztecs or something like that. Uh-huh. Or you do like a lottery, like pull the stone out. Crystal, you say that because you're wearing a New England Patriots sweatshirt. There is no losing. I know. There's no such thing. <laughs> what is lose? What is this word you say? Mm. The show is called Making It. There you go. Oh, thank you. Which works because people want to make it and then they're also making it. It's two levels. I see. It's a double entendre. Rick. Was it on air that we were talking about the Great British Bake Off? Yes. Okay, and I couldn't remember the name of the female host. I kept wanting to call her Sherry's Berries. Her name is Mary Berry. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no I relation wanted... to Cherry Berry. I no. made a reference to Soggy Bottoms, and then that branched us off into a tangent of, oh, gee, what does that come from? Because I don't watch it. <laughs> John stopped watching the British Baking Show once Mary Berry wasn't on it anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh. He was like, where's the old lady I like? And I was like, she's not on anymore. He goes, okay. And then gets up and He's walks loyal. away. <laughs> Hell yeah. Mary Berry for life. L-A-I-F. Life. That's loyalty right there. You should get a t-shirt that says Mary Berry gets me baked. Oh, that's a great idea, George. <laughs> <laughs> we go now to our third location, first being the elevator, second being the war rig. Now we go up to a chamber where a tiny boy has a handful of dust and he is blowing that dust onto the back of this guy. Ew. And he's got sores and... Really big skin tags. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's saggy. It's, it makes me uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's really skeezy. All I know is that's the weirdest way I've seen anybody administer cocaine ever. Right? <laughs> I've seen some weird stuff. Never seen it transdermally applied to open sores. Well, with that many openings in your skin, it probably gets in there a lot faster. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could work, but ooh. Yeah, I imagine any sort of brushing or uh, massaging ooh, would yeah, so irritate. Sounds bad. Yeah. There would be ooh. a lot of sloughing involved. Ew. Yeah, there's a... That's not a great word. It's a terrible word. There's a scene in the movie Bronson starring Tom Hardy where he's kidnapped a prison guard and the other prison guards are trying to get into the cell where Bronson and this kidnapped guy are. And for some reason, and I haven't watched Bronson beginning to end. That's oh, just, but we're gonna. But we're gonna because it looks <laughs> insane. And you get to see Tom Hardy's butt. Uh, yeah. based so on much the, butt. Based on the video we saw, you get to see more than just his butt. What? I think, I think you get full on donger in that oh, movie. Tom's Hardy? <laughs> <laughs> In this scene specifically that I'm talking about, because the guards are going to break into the cell and he has smuggled away a pot of, I think, white paint. It's either white paint or grease or something. Yeah. Some sort of paint. And so he's trying to get himself covered in this coloring. And basically he recruits the guard that he's kidnapped to help him cover his body with paint. And so he puts the paint in the guy's hand, puts his hand on Tom Hardy's butt, says, yeah, work it in. Nah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Get the creases and the crevices. <laughs> oh. Ooh. We have to watch this movie. Yeah. So I don't think that method would work for Immortan Joe. No. He's got too many creases. You've got to go with the gentle, yeah. lowing, puffing method. He's like a beefy dude, though. He's got some muscles under that. Eaten flesh. There's a lot to him. <laughs> Do you know which disease he has? Like, what is it? Apocalypse herpes. Yeah. It's probably a Mr. Burns scenario where he's got all of the diseases and they're just trying to cram through this tiny door all at once. <laughs> and the fact that there are so many is why he's not dead. Okay. They're too busy fighting each other to fight him. Exactly. There's a microbial thunderdome happening inside Joe. <laughs> Two meninges enter one minute. No, no, I mean, it's, it's either leprosy or some sort of like severe radioactive poisoning or something. Because yeah. his, his wounds are like actively bleeding. What about lupus? Isn't that weird with skin? Lupus is a weird? blood disease. You get a little it? bit of a rash. You don't get yeah. open weeping sores. Yeah. I've also read somewhere syphilis. Mm-hmm. Get, like yeah. I said, he has post-apocalyptic syphilis. Syphilis will bring down the mightiest of men or women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Capone, I think he died of syphilis. In- oh, I thought you were going to say Al Capone said that. That was a quote. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, he's Al talking Capone. about himself. Guys, let me quote the great Al Capone. <laughs> syphilis will bring down the mightiest, the mightiest of, men of men and woe men. And woe men. <laughs> I feel like if it's actually Al Capone, it'd probably be like, syphilis, see? Bring down the mightiest men, see? <laughs> And the C works because that was what he said on his deathbed. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are going to see several partial shots of Joe. We're not actually going to get to see him in all of his finery until he is complete. And I love the parallel. We're putting together the war rig. We're also putting together Joe. And we don't get to see Joe until the war rig is all put together. He actually takes a little bit longer. He's very high maintenance. I get frustrated that they don't pull the hair out of his neck plate. So his hair is behind his neck plate. That's got to be so uncomfortable, especially with open wounds. 
I'm pretty sure at this point he's beyond caring about certain things like that. You'd never be on comfort, George. Not with hair. He's probably got a war pup specifically to brush it out of the way. Fluff yeah. his hair. Yeah. <laughs> a hairdresser. War boy pups fluffing and blowing. It's great. Hooked on. In the art book, they show that in early sketches of Immortan Joe, instead of having a white and gray and tan color scheme, he originally had a bright blue and red color scheme. His clothes would be flowing red fabrics and his skin would be dyed blue. Oh. And one of the things that the wretched would do down below the Citadel is they would scavenge and find laundry detergent and they would use the laundry detergent to tint his skin. Oh. I'm willing to bet they didn't do that because it would have made him look like a giant angry post-apocalyptic smurf. Yeah, and like he blew himself. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Oops, I blew myself. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of Arrested Development lately. That's fair. (laughs) He would have been the only surviving post-apocalyptic member of Blue Man Group. (laughs) Blue Man Joe would have been his name. Someone's got to carry on that noble tradition. Yeah. I mean, oh, they'll outlive us all. Another thing I noticed about Joe is that there are Imperators holding Joe's arm on either side. And I feel like that's a parallel to how the War Boys were holding on to Max's arms, like holding them out while he's getting tattooed and stuff. And the major difference here is that Joe's arms are being held up because he's old and tired, where Max's (laughs) arms are being held out because he was being, you know, tattooed against his will. He was misbehaving. (laughs) Is it time to talk about the chanting? War boys! The elevator has reached the ground, and it is now time for the war boys to start chanting up, because they are the war boys, comma crazy war boys, Fukushima, comma crazy war boys. (laughs) That's a long episode title. Right. (laughs) So, Julia, you were particularly interested in what they were shouting. The way they say comma crazy and Fukushima, because they don't actually say Fukushima, they say... Fukushima? I think they pronounce it similarly, but it's not, but it's not spelled exact. the same way in the under in the uh, subtitles. Yeah, because these concepts and these cultural ideas are almost now, maybe not ancient, but getting there. These are from this old world that they have knowledge of, but maybe not a ton of records left over. So they're taking these ideas and piecing them together, but it's not quite right. So I think that's why we end up with this Fukushima comma crazy thing that they are. Mm-hmm. I like the inclusion of stuff like comma crazy Fukushima because it's an acknowledgement that there is a lot of, you know, Japanese influence in these movies. Or maybe it's a big Carly Rae Jepsen influence and they're really just bastardizing call me crazy. <laughs> call me maybe. So it's both Japanese and Jepsen. It's Jepsenese. I think of the no mask from Beyond Thunderdome. You know, the thing that Iron Bar was wearing. There's just, you know, more of that. So now that the elevator has reached the ground, they can take a fuel pod that has been sitting behind the tanker and they can roll it into place and connect it on. And one war boy in particular, a guy called the Ace, he shouts, hooked on. And then he starts listing off the different things they are bringing to Gastown. So the back pod is pull of fuel. And inside the main tanker, they are hauling Aquacola, Produce, and mother's milk. Gross. <laughs> so, Aquacola, I think, I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, it's just plain water. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's water that's been processed in any way to be, you know, fizzily or bubbly. I think they have named water this thing because they think that that's what it was called back in the day. 
and they're they're translating this idea of Coca-Cola into something else. Aquafina. Yeah, they don't yeah. really know what it is. They're just kind of making it up. It's the opposite of idiocracy, where they mm-hmm. called Powerade water, or they they were using Powerade or Gatorade like water, sports drink. Yeah. yeah. It's got electrolytes. It's what plants crave. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch that movie right now. You're busy. Real quick, this guy, the ace, he's played by a guy named John Isles. He's best known for working in this movie, 2005's Stealth. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Fighter the, jet uh, movie? Yeah, I remember that. I think it had Jessica Biel in it or something it did. like that. Oh, good. So it was a good movie. And He also worked on Suicide Squad and Pacific Rim Uprising as either a stunt performer or a military advisor. And that was pretty much because he was a Royal Australian Navy diver. Oh. And then he transitioned from military service into television and movies. So he got his big movie break on stealth and then went on to work on those other things I mentioned. In fact, one of them that stands out in 2016, he worked with former Max Rockatansky, Mel Gibson, on his movie Hacksaw Ridge, where he was a military advisor. Hmm. It's a movie I'm still surprised my mom liked. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I like the idea that he is almost typecast as a military type person because that's what he exudes in this movie too. Yeah. He's the Australian Arlie Ermy. <laughs> yes. And especially like this chanting that they've done and this listing off of what they're doing today and the call and response feels very militaristic. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. That's a weird hybridization of military and like shamanic ritual. Mm. And we're getting to see a lot of key elements of the war rigs, like the lines that he hooks up between the fuel pod and the tanker. Those are going to come into play a little bit later when Furiosa fires up the war rig. We get a nice puff of dust coming out from underneath the truck, which reminds me of Road Warrior. Mm -hmm. So we get a nice little callback there. And like I mentioned, at the end of this minute, they are also hauling mother's milk in the war boys. Shout out mother's milk. It's delicious. (laughs) Tastes like cantaloupe juice. Ah. Oh. That's a friend's reference. Calm down. Oh, okay. Really? really? <laughs> I don't put it in my milk every morning. Maybe <laughs> my coffee. Well, now I'm curious. Oh, well, well, find a mother and ask if you can tap that. <laughs> Just throw a blanket over your head. It'll be fine. Oh, stop <laughs> it, George. Yucky. Don't shame. I like that this is subverting a cultural norm for us. We're very uncomfortable with the idea of mother's milk. And especially anybody but the mother's baby drinking it. And it's something that our society just is not comfortable with. The whole nursing in public thing. But in their society, this is not only something that is farmed, but something that is traded. Everybody who has any sort of standing drinks it. It's something considered precious and nutritious that is for everybody. Mm -hmm. No, thanks. And I think that subversion isn't appreciated enough. Your hair would be so shiny, Crystal. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with what you're saying, Julia, though, is that it's probably the only place they can get vitamins and nutrients now. It's their V8. Yeah. And (laughs) they... uh, Double D8. And it does... George, enough. (laughs) Just one... I want a five-minute chunk without an incredibly amazing pun that makes me mad. (laughs) Carry on. I'll try. It is actually very sad, Julia, that... Women aren't allowed to breastfeed in public. And in airports, they're like, would you like to go into the secret quiet room to go breastfeed your baby? I'm like, no, bitch, do it right here. Yeah. Do it right here. Do whatever you need. I just don't want to drink it. (laughs) 
Just saying. You could get in the airport and get a group of guys around and start chanting war boys as this woman breastfeeds. It's like, you know, just start a culture. That would be really cool, actually. I have an office mate that pumps during the day, like every two hours. Oh, my gosh. And it's loud. She constantly. Mm -hmm. So she used to go into a medical-ish office. So we have like one patient room. Aside from like all of our offices, the room never gets used because we don't see patients there. <laughs> so she used to go into that patient room and do her thing and stuff. But then she started like getting lazy and just pumping at her desk. So now she just pumps at her desk. And it's an office of like four women. And then we have like five other people. Good for her. In other offices. And she just pumps at her desk. It's no big deal. Does she save a cup of it for herself? No. Cool. No, but she spills it sometimes because oh, she's kind of Wasting sloppy. mother's milk. That's for her homies. Oh, oh God. We went out to lunch yesterday and she spilled it in my car. <laughs> oh. We don't need to go into that more. Why doesn't she put the top on better? I don't think we need to go into that at all. In fact, <laughs> I think that's about it for today. Crystal, I see that John had to run off and uh, bring the dog to a... Dog school. Obedience school. Obedience. Puppy classes. We're teaching him to be a good citizen. There you go. So he's going to learn how to vote. Yes. So, Crystal, why don't you tell all the nice people where they can find more of you? Surely. You can find me on social media at the Crystal Beth, but not Facebook because I deleted it. Ha <laughs> ha! You did. You renegade. Such a millennial. And then you can find John on Twitter at John Robert Wilso. And then you can listen to our podcast, Keep Calm and Game On, on iTunes. Or you can go to keepcalmandgameon.com. It is a video game podcast about video games. And, George, where can people find you? Anywhere on the internet where you type in the Mogwai Minute will probably show up. That's our Twitter handle. We have a Facebook group that we talk about food a lot. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, Google Play. So just do a little Googling and you'll find us and just listen to us as you prefer to do so. As for us, we are going to be coming back on Wednesday where it is all about Immortan Joe as he finishes getting dressed and steps to the edge of his balcony. Dun, dun, dun. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 7 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>